Hey, I'm Russ. And I'm Steve. Growing up in the 80s, we were introduced to video games, movies, and technology that made a lasting impression on us and forever enriched our lives. I think I'm gonna cry! It's been a fascinating journey to be a part of, one that we constantly treasure. Fire! Booty! Our goal is simple. Share our magical moments of discovery and geek out with lovely folks. Just like you! Uh, achievement unlocked! So if you crave pixel goodness, memorable moments, and experiences that make your inner child do the happy dance, you've come to the right place. Let's do this! Welcome to Joygasm! <laughs> yeah! Welcome back to Joygasm, where we talk about video games, movies, and pop culture. My name is Russ, Xbox Live Toaster360, and joining me is my beastly brother Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich, as we kick off episode 33 on this August 12, 2017. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to show us some love, you can find us on Twitter at JoygasmTV and Facebook.com slash JoygasmTV. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash JoygasmTV, or search Joygasm TV on YouTube, and no matter which platform you use to consume the show, please drop us a subscription, thumbs up, or a review. It helps us build awareness, which we appreciate very much. We have a totally tubular show for you today. In video game news, we cover the Nintendo getting sued. Friday the 13th plan to remove Team Killing, upcoming change for the Xbox achievement system, StarCraft 2 being used for AI research, and, of course, some Overwatch and Gamescom thrown in for good measure. Movie news includes Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Netflix, Avengers 4, and a new, perhaps, season of Hannibal. Our topic of the day is microtransactions, but... Before we get into all of that, Steve, how the heck are you? Well, Rush, you know, it's another day and uh, I'm breathing. So uh, that's well, good Breathing's good. Breathing's a great thing. It's productive. Indeed. It keeps the heart pumping. Keeps you... Um, kicking. Well, you know, kicking, yeah. <laughs> Walking. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> Punching. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? I'm good. It's the weekend. I love weekends. Weekends are... I hate weekends. Fantastic. We can suck. I wake up, I go, I have to get ready for work. No, I don't. I can stay in my boxers. Uh, there was times where I was just working probably six days a week, and I would wake up going, I gotta go to work. I, 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 I throw the covers up. Oh, I'm an hour late. I gotta get fired. Oh, frick. <laughs> and then uh, it would just like, I'm halfway out the door, you know, and um, it just dawned on me. It's your day off. It's the weekend. <gasps> I think there were actual times where like I was like in the car, I was blasting to my job when it finally set in that, oh, I have the day off. Tires smoking. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm sorry to get fired this time. Yeah, I just want to put the car back in the garage. I'm just making sure it still ran. Yeah. Sorry, neighbors. <laughs> you like that smell? <laughs> yeah. Well, have you been playing anything new or have you been... Loyal to the current games of choice. Uh, loyal to the current games of choice, Russ. My loot boxes are up to 77. So when are you going to open those? I believe, you know, I, I think I think what I'm going to do, I, because the, the summer games are over, I think, on the 29th. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to wait till the 28th, perhaps. Maybe the 28th or the 29th, and just open them all. Why? Why not? Well, because they're all timestamps, so I don't think they're going to make any difference to 
whether or not you get summer gear. Either way. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. And then, uh, you know, maybe, our, or, or I'll wait till I get a hundred of them. Whichever one, whichever comes first. Okay. Which probably be a hundred to be honest. Cause I get about, uh, either one a night and, uh, or one, either from one to three a night. What level are you currently? Um, uh, two, two twenty nine. I think. Impressive. Not bad. Not too bad. I have yet to break the 200 mark. I think I'm, what am I? 194? Somewhere around there? I'll have to look. But uh, it's going to be a, a fun day of reckoning when I hit that that 200. Because you have the two stars underneath your, your profile headshot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I cannot believe when I'm playing that game. And sometimes you, you'll see someone with like the silver uh, framing around the, the portrait. <laughs> I'm thinking, That's how a many lot of time. hours did you play? Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder if it's if it's somebody who's either like staff, Blizzard staff, and, that, and that's like their account that they're using, or there's somebody for one of the Overwatch channels mm. on, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. It's got to devote a ton of time to it because that's for work. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and I've seen people who are silver and they're at level 500 and something. Like they're about to get the gold portrait. Well, and there may be folks that we don't even know who do already have the gold portrait. It's just that we're too low on the totem pole to see that. But I could totally see someone who's already in the gold area. Yeah, sure. Well, I've been doing some work on the uh, Joygasm site as per usual. I have some fun news with uh, the YouTube channel. However, we're getting more and mm. more subscribers. So that is encouraging. Indeed. It's good. Indeed. I think as of this recording, we are about halfway to our goal. Like our, our humble goal is to get 100 subscribers on YouTube. So that way we can get our custom URL, which we sound like a broken record about for each one of these episodes. But you know what? We're just, we're shameless that way. <laughs> we need support. Uh, I've been playing more Horizon Zero Dawn and I've been making a focus towards the cauldrons. And I know you haven't played this game. Mm. So the cauldrons are these areas within the game that are very futuristic, very sci-fi. In fact, they're probably some of the most technologically advanced locations within the overall map because mm-hmm. most of the map is just wildlands, you know, wildlife, desolate areas. You, you run across certain groups or tribes of people and it's just, it's very uh, primitive in that sense. Well, these cauldrons are the areas where the, all these different types of cyborg beasts are being created and fabricated, that sort of thing. And so each one has some sort of boss. It's almost, it's basically like, like, a, like a boss battle, but it's funny because it's more of an optional boss battle. It's not part of the, the main story. And so I was actually talking to a buddy of mine who beat it already. He beat it a while ago. He didn't even know the cauldrons existed. Nice. And so I was showing him on YouTube. He's like, oh my gosh, I gotta go back through and play this game. I didn't know there were those things were even there. So uh, I got to Cauldron Zeta, I believe it was. And there's this huge, I mean, it's like the biggest creature I've seen yet in the game. And it's, it's called a Thunderjaw. The thing is just, I mean, this game is, is so awesome. They, they did such a good job with this game. You really do need to like sit down and give it a shot because I think that you would appreciate quite a bit of it. But the Thunderjaw is like kind of like the size of a T-Rex, but it's it's like one of the, the robots in the game that actually was 
like, designed from the ground up to, to be more military-esque. So all of the weaponry on this thing is just tremendous. Uh, the, I died several times just him doing something that just once it got focused on me, I was just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just totally just got vaporized. Well, what we'll do is uh, I'll borrow your PlayStation and start playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Then uh, I'll let you catch up to me on uh, Overwatch. Yeah, there you go. That's an idea. So it was it was definitely satisfying to be able to beat the Thunderjaw. Uh, and actually, every one I've gone to, I think I've... I've unlocked at least three of the cauldrons. I think there are five totals. I think there are, uh, maybe I've, I've unlocked four, three or four. Anyway, they're, they're part of the, the game that I, I just really just get all giddy about. And every time I, I spot one on the map, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going there. Yeah. <clears throat> and they're always like a different type of challenge. Um, so that was good. Still making my way through other parts of, of the map as well. And it's just fun because I actually have not played the the main story in quite some time. I'm just having fun with the side quests or anything else that come my way. Another thing that, that I discovered too, I was uh, coming across this fortress that had a lot of these different types of uh, tribal folk who didn't take too kindly to me. Mm. And I will tell you, Steve, I walked right up to the front gate because I thought they were a friendly lot. And they arrowed me down. Hmm. Normally you say gun down, but we don't have guns. We have arrows in this game. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, ow. Man. That wasn't very nice. So I went after I respawned and I grabbed a hold. Actually, I hacked into one of the, the robotic. Uh, it's basically the equivalent of a horse. Got on that and actually proceeded to uh, storm the gates using that thing and just trampled everybody. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> and that worked out pretty well. I, I would say it took out about seventy-five percent of uh, the uh, meddlesome troublemakers in the uh, the vicinity, and then I just ended up using my slingshot um, filled with bombs and stuff to just kind of polish them off. Gives a whole new meaning to uh, wrist rocket. That does it. Rush. It does indeed. I think you would get a kick out of it. It actually has three different types of bomb. There's one that just is like more of like an incendiary bomb. There's a time bomb and there's a sticky bomb. So each one has its own kind of right. You know, pluses and minuses to it. But overall, it's it's very it's very gratifying. Have you played the uh, the games I uh, I brought you humbly? I was going to last night, and then as I told you before we started the show, mm. I all of a sudden became overwhelmed with weariness, sleepiness. I I, yeah, I was actually up here. I I, um, I played a little <laughs> bit of Horizon, and then all of a sudden I'm like, dude, I can't because I was I was about to switch over to Xbox One and uh, ping you and see if you want to play some Overwatch. I was waiting. I was looking at the phone for like 15 minutes straight. Russ, text me, text me, text me, text me, text me. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so done. I think that, that just the the grind from the week kind of caught up, but, but I'm feeling way better, much more refreshed today. So, You know, speaking of sleep and uh, getting worn out, I watched or I streamed uh, Rogue One last night on Netflix. Oh, watched it for the second time, I eh? did. I did. And uh, I... I you know, some of the magic was obviously gone because it's not the first time you've seen it. But some of the magic was put back in because I didn't have any of the crowd and have the I had a more comfortable seat, and uh, I, I had a better picture. Your gluteus maximus <laughs> felt magical being in a <laughs> more comfortable seat. Indeed. 
And uh, but you know, I, I I started to feel like it was a it was an indie Star Wars for some reason. I don't know. I just I, watching it, I just felt like it was like an independent Star Wars film, not like the magical Lucasfilm Star Wars film. Mm. But then I went to sleep right afterward. Did was, you have any Star Wars dreams? Yes, I did. Oh, nice. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I don't really remember what <laughs> happened, but. Um, I, I think I was rolling around going, why did, why did they kill Forrest Whitaker off? I want Forrest Whitaker back. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> I won with the Force. And the Force was with yes, me. I think I woke up a couple times saying that. I won with the Force. The Force was with me. I won with the Force. The Force was with me. I won with the- <laughs> I think I woke up sleepwalking, getting a drink of water, saying that half a dozen times. <laughs> You're uh, out there it's like sleepwalking out in the backyard with like a plastic lightsaber. People are like, what the heck is he yeah. doing? Is he naked? He's walking around. Man, that guy's blessed. Oh, no, that's a saber. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> uh, boy. Well, that's fun. Yeah, I definitely need to, to watch that because I only saw it once in the theater with you. Mm-hmm. I need to definitely watch, especially since it's on Netflix. There was another robot actually going back to Horizon that I came across for the first time, and it has camouflage. It's, uh, the body shape is reminiscent of like a cheetah mm. or a leopard. Yes. And they're quick, like a cheetah or a leopard. Cat-like animal. I have not had a chance to actually research what the name of that particular creature is. However, it's pretty unsettling to not be able to see them at times, and all of a sudden they appear and they're right in front of you. And you're like, oh, why, hello there. And they, they travel in packs. There's like three or four of them at a time. It's not very fun. Mm. But I will survive. Sounds like the machines are figuring out what you don't like and making more of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, let me think here. I think I, that is pretty much the only thing. I think I probably played a little bit of Overwatch a few days ago after our last podcast, actually. Sat down mm-hmm. and started getting into more of the winter. Winter. I did the same thing as you. Winter games. Summer games of 2017. <laughs> I like bobsledding. I know. <laughs> I think that's what you said Snowboarding. last time, yeah. too. <laughs> We got, we played a little, or at least I don't know, I don't know if you were in there. I played some Lucio Ball for the mm. first time. Total ripoff of Rocket League, which is not a bad thing necessarily. It's just that that's what comes to mind. I don't think you've played Rocket League. I haven't played Rocket League, but I, I have played Halo's Griff Ball. And I got to say, Rush, um, I do prefer Griff Ball over Lucio Ball. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Griff Ball, you know, I, I, th- I haven't played the newer. What Halo you're saying stuff. is you like Griff's balls over Lucio's balls? I, I like Griff's nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I wish there was more kind of summer game stuff to do. I mean, they call it summer games and all you do is play Lucio ball and they give you some more costumes. Like during uprising, there was a whole new section of the game that you could play. Sure. Um, but with summer games, it's just, it's a game, not games. (laughs) (laughs) Give us something else. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Well, if there's nothing else new, shall we go into some gaming news name? I think we should. All right, let's kick things off. (gasps) This comes as a bit of a surprise. Nintendo sued for Switch design. According to Engadget, Game Vice is suing Nintendo for allegedly violating a patent for concepts used in the Wikipad, its gaming-oriented Android Slate, as well as its namesake add-on controllers for phones and tablets. According to the suit, the Switch and its removable Joy-Con controllers are too close to Game Vice's vision of a combination of detachable game controller and a device with a flexible bridge section. Game Vice wants Nintendo to immediately stop selling the Switch. Game Vice also wants Nintendo to pay for damages. 
this is something that uh, I feel compelled to just share the story just because it's kind of eye rolling in the sense that no one has really ever heard of Game Vice or their Wikipad. I think personally, it's more of a, a publicity stunt by Game Vice in order to try and build more awareness around their system because no, I never heard of it. I, you never heard of it. I, mean, I don't think hardly anyone's ever heard of this thing. Any any press is good press, I guess. Well, and I don't think that they're going to win this lawsuit. I think they're going to hold on to it up until the point where they would have to move forward with the case and then just drop it. And then at that point, it's been free press this entire time right. to try and exactly. you know, get people to look at their products. So you do what you do, Nintendo. <laughs> You're all right in our book. Moving right along into Friday the 13th, the game, their plans to remove team killing. So this is a game that like, I haven't played. You haven't played. I've had friends who have played. They say it's pretty spooky. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been hearing on other podcasts about how there there is a kind of a, a cult following right. with the game. Like the game itself is actually quite buggy. But having said that, actually, it's a really fun game to get into. So we may, we may have to give it a shot. But anyway, uh, let's see. Jordan Serrani reports. Following complaints of rampant team killing, Friday the 13th, the game is eliminating weapon use against teammates in public matches. In a preview for the next patch via Reddit, Gun Media detailed the change, saying, quote, the shotgun, machete, and other assorted weapons will no longer have any effect on friendly players, end quote. While team killing was designed to promote life or death experiences into each and every game you play, it's become, quote, more of a battle royale scenario, end quote, according to this, uh, the publisher. However, there are two exceptions to Friday the 13th's new team killing rules, vehicles and traps. You'll still be able to kill fellow counselors while driving a car. <laughs> How and, fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so awesome. Yeah, roadkill. Yeah. <laughs> and bear traps. <laughs> oh, my leg. Set by other counselors will still cause damage. Gun Media is also doing away with the XP penalties for team kills via bear trap, warning players to, quote, pay attention to placed traps, end quote. <laughs> I have one last quote. Actually, I have a couple more quotes here. Our team believes that the ability to hurt other counselors is something that this game should have as it's as it adds to attention and requires players to make tough calls, said Gun Media. However, we do not believe this should be a mechanic that is abused by players to the point where the vast majority of our current communications from fans are complaints of rampant and unwarranted team killing, griefing, and trolling, mm. end quote. So I can totally see that. I, I do find it ironic, however, the fact that like, the game is Friday the 13th. Like it's completely based around killing and horror and everything else. And now they're kind of getting back into going, uh, 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 you shouldn't do that. It's yeah. not right. It's like, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> Moving on to the next story here. Starbreeze, which is a game company that I've always liked. I don't know if you are familiar with Starbreeze Studios. No. Did you ever play um, Enclave? No. <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't. But or, I, I, I remember hearing about it and looking at it, but I don't. I never played it. Did you ever play Chronicles of Riddick? Uh, no. It was uh, Escape from Butcher Bay. Negative, sir. Oh man, those are both like sweet games. Anyway, oh, sweet, oh, sweet cakes. Luke Riley's Star. Um, Luke Riley reports that Starbreeze and developer Lion Game have confirmed four-player co-op shooter raid World War II. And it will be available on PC from September 26th. It will be released in store and online for Xbox One and PS4 in October. Uh, Read War... Man, that's kind of a hard name to say. Read World War II 
is a co-op first-person shooter that will see players battle and rob their way through occupied Europe. It sounds a lot like a period version of Payday, but the game's pedigree makes this no surprise. Lion Game Line, based in Zagreb, Croatia, has been building DLC for Starbreeze and Overkill Software's extremely successful Payday 2 for some time. Also raid World War II game director uh, Leija Petrusic was the co-founder of Overkill Software and lead level designer for Payday, The Heist, and Payday 2. Quote, the goal in Raid is simple. Sabotage, assassinate, and pulverize everything bearing a swastika. Mess with Hitler and steal his treasures. End quote. So, I don't know. It seems to be kind of the an ongoing trend here going back into killing some Nazis. <laughs> Nazis. Yeah, exactly. The next story involves Microsoft fundamentally changing Xbox achievements. There's um, not a lot to, to really cover about it other than that there's talk about celebrating gamers who are super talented at a game, even if they have a low achievement gamer score. And this is something that actually I was wanting your thoughts on because for the last decade and a half, I would say, there's been this huge movement toward um, folks who are just absolutely obsessed with trying to get their gamer score as high as possible. And, you know, like our, our good old friend Brad. You know, he, he's fast approaching 200,000 gamer score points, and that's that's a, a an achievement unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I actually, I for one, like the idea of them maturing the achievement system to try and include folks who perhaps are just badass at a particular title, even though that's like maybe the only game they play. Right. And what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm up in the air with it. I mean... For the longest time, I was questioning, oh, you know, I got an achievement in like Need for Speed for going reverse for 100 miles. Like, okay, great. I got 100 points for that, huh? Okay, cool, I guess. But then what can I do with the points? Oh, I, I guess I can just brag about it. Um, you know, so it's something to gamers like me, my gamer score, eh, you know, okay, I have, you know, almost 30,000. Whoop de do. You know, uh -huh. Brad's got almost 200,000. Okay, good for him. But I would like to see more of a goal to get a higher gamer score for a reason other than just bragging. Like, what why, What are we going for here? What are your thoughts on just what if they were to introduce some sort of system that actually focused more on the, the prowess of a particular gamer? Well, that's something to achieve to. And then that, there would be cause for it. Absolutely. Because, I mean, games like we like to play, uh, we've played a lot of Halo in the past. We played a lot of Overwatch. Mm -hmm. Played a lot of Witcher. I mean, if there was like something to attain with a higher score and you play the game more or you buy DLC for other uh, achievement, but you could get something in the end or be the best gamer and get some recognition. Yeah, absolutely. This next one, I think, will pique your interest. Oh, Steve. Make my ears <clears throat> pop up. Overwatch deathmatch mode revealed. Mm -hmm. I'm aware, Rush. Alex Osborne reports Overwatch Arcade will soon feature Deathmatch, Blizzard has announced. Deathmatch, which is now available on the PTR, brings with it a new map and two new modes, including Free For All, which features 1v7 matches where players compete with the goal of being the first to get 20 kills. Good old Halo days exactly. is coming to mind. The other is Team Deathmatch, which pits two teams of six against each other with the goal of being the, t the first team to rack up 30 kills. In this mode, Mercy Resurrects... Oh, excuse me. In this mode, Mercy Resurrections will subtract kills from the other team's kill count. That's pretty cool. Yep. 
Uh, while several of Overwatch's existing maps have been modified for Deathmatch, Blizzard is also adding a new map called Chateau Gilliard that is designed specifically for two aforementioned new modes. Additionally, Deathmatch features a new scoreboard to keep track of your kills. That pumps me up. Yeah. Like that is something that I know you and I have talked about quite a few times regarding Overwatch where we just, we want there to be those tried and true game modes of multiplayer first person shooters. And that was just a huge void within the game itself of like, why don't they have a death match? Yeah. Why don't they have a team death match? Like it's just, it's a no brainer. And that makes me excited. That really makes my day. In fact, knowing that it's in the PTR right now, man, that means that maybe within like three weeks, three, three weeks to a month or maybe even less, I don't know. We could see that come in and we, I think the two of us, we are going to be playing the crap out of those modes because we've been just, we've been longing for that for so long. I mean, that was something that you and I played. I think aside from Capture the Flag when we were playing Halo, that was the biggest thing for us was Deathmatch yeah. or Team Deathmatch. So, yeah, that was, uh, it's going to be different because in the game, it doesn't matter if you hit a guy a few times and someone else finishes him off, you still get some sort of credit. This is like, you got to finish him off even to get a kill. So if you get, if you hurt the opponent 90% and the other person gets 10%, they get credit, you don't. Yeah. That's going to be different. Well, and it works out nicely too, just because for the longest time that we've had like payloads, you know, move from point A to point B, we've had the territories, we've had capture the flag, and then we've had some other smaller modes like elimination and total mayhem, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm really, really happy that they have pushed forward with this. For a while there, I wasn't sure what to think. I just started to lose hope and think, oh, well, this is probably just how it's going to be. For whatever reason, Blizzard is against Deathmatch and Team Deathmatch. But even like the, the whole Mercy thing, too, that is so cool. Because imagine yeah. like the other teams are like one kill away. And all of a sudden you resurrect like six of your players and all of a sudden their, their score drops by six. Like that is going to be an epic game Pe mode right there. People are going to have to really watch out for their mercy and mercy is really going to have to watch out for the people. That's You're going to have to like body shield your mercy the entire time. Totally. Yeah. In other Blizzard news, StarCraft 2 now being used for AI research. Matt Davidson covered DeepMind, a leading researcher into artificial intelligence and its potential for positive use, has just announced a partnership with Blizzard Entertainment using classic strategy game StarCraft II as a basis for improved AI learning. The pair have created a new set of tools known as SC2LE to accelerate AI research specifically within StarCraft II. In a post on its website, DeepMind explains that part of the draw of StarCraft II is the multi-layer gameplay and the prevalence of sub-goals within the game. For example, gathering resources whilst also engaging in combat with the enemy. This also means that often players have to play the long game, putting into place actions which may not pay off until much later in the game. Although the AI agents are able to perform tasks well in isolated minigames, when exposed to the full game, they struggle with tasks that humans find fairly trivial. It's this that DeepMind hopes to combat with Blizzard's help. The most efficient way to train AI is through imitation learning, learning from the human examples provided and the sheer number and variety of replays that Blizzard is able to provide from StarCraft's huge player base gives them plenty to work with. Although it may not seem like a huge scientific leap to teach AI how to play a video game, in reality, the skills that are being learned, sequences, prediction, and long-term memory are huge important, or excuse me, are hugely important to the future of true AI. 
I thought that that story was was pretty amusing just because I know that from a coding standpoint, they're always trying to, to get some sort of authentic feeling AI. doesn't matter what the game is. You have to have a huge amount of, of subtrees within subtrees within subtrees of um, just what's triggering what and, and how to, how to get that, that overall play experience that feels like, like you're getting as close as you can to a human opponent. Although you know, right. human opponents are infinitely more clever and devious and everything else. But yeah. <clears throat> last but not least Gamescom 2017. I've never been to Gamescom. Always wanted to go. Star Wars Battlefront 2 Space Battle teased. EA has announced that plans to demo the multiplayer space combat in Star Wars Battlefront 2 at this year's Gamescom. In a post on EA's official blog, the publisher invited fans to tune in to Gamescom on August 21st at 9.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, and 5.30 p.m. UK, uh, which is August 22nd at 2.30 a.m. AET for a new trailer and live gameplay reveal of the new Starfighter Assault Mode. The blog teases that, quote, teams will face off in a swirling dogfight in the Fondor Imperial Shipyard map, weaving around an Imperial Star Destroyer complete with speedy fighters, thundering bombers, distinct hero ships, and more, end quote. By the way, mark your calendars for the Star Wars Battlefront 2 beta. It will become live on October 6th and end on the 9th. And if you've pre-ordered the game, you can begin testing it out one day early on October 4th. So you can get your goodness in before everyone else. And uh, it's something I plan on doing there, Steve. Ah, there you go. I need to get myself some uh, some Star Wars action there. And Russ. Yes. Before you quit the music. Oh, it's already fading. Well, I have one more thing to add. Mm, please do, Steve. We can backtrack. Back to Overwatch. <laughs> there are some buffs coming. You're buff. Thanks. Partially, let's see. Uh, buffs I'm, coming. I'm nerfed. <laughs> <laughs> I always like nerf. I like the nerf football. The screamer. Yeah! Boom! <laughs> Junkrat um, is going to get a concussion mine. Um, or he already has one, but now you're going to get two. Mm. So it's going to be kind of a different type of cooldown system as well. Yeah. So there could be a chance that he could do a double jump. So now how he steps on his old C4 mine uh -huh. and he goes and he launches, he can get to some other areas. Sure. He's going to have two of those, which has got a, quite a bit of a bump for him because if he throws it at somebody and then like blows it up. So it's the same mine. He's just getting two of them? Two of them, yeah. Well, that's a fine how do you do. Well, that's ah. a huge buff for him. Roadhog will now be able to move when doing healing. Oh, so. Before. Oh man, that's gonna be annoying. Yeah, exactly. So before he had to like hide behind a room and like you know stuff that can into his mask. And yeah. Now he can move while he heals, similar to Bastion. Wow. And also when you're when, when he takes damage, the damage taken while he's healing will be cut fifty percent. Hmm. So that's gonna make him um, not so much of a like a ult charge kind of you know stand yeah. still get a bunch of points. Widowmaker, uh, the grappling hook cooldown has been reduced from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. Now that is good. I'm glad about that. And the Venom Mine will now make uh, the target that hits it visible. The target that hits it So, visible. like, it, her Venom Mine that goes off. Oh, so they'll see, like, like, the red silhouette. Yeah, but just her. 
So if if you're Widowmaker, that's cool. I like yeah, that. exactly. It's kind of a sombraish okay. way. Um, but you'll be the only one to see it. None, nobody else on the team will, will be able to see it. I wonder what Widowmaker might think about that. Step into my parlor, says the spider to the fly. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, impressive. So <laughs> <laughs> Russ, you might not know this of me, but I'm trilingual. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Just an impression, though. Anyway, uh, Orissa finally getting a buff, sort of. Uh, um, her barrier gets increased in size by twenty percent. Not sure how I feel about that one. And the bottom of it will curve a bit more. So depending on where you put the barrier, I'll actually not have any like you know open spaces underneath it or whatever. Um, so that'll be better for her. Also. Uh, her projectile speed is going to be increased. Projectile so, speed? Yeah, because when she fires, it's not like a, a quick bullet like Soldier 76. Uh, or, uh, I mean, but it, it's like a suppressive gun, though. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like you can just keep firing and firing and firing. So they're going to speed up the, tra- the trajectory of the Correct. bullet? Correct. Yeah, it's going to be similar to, like, uh, May's Icicle. Wow, okay. So before, when you were targeting an enemy and, and they were walking away, you had to like shoot in front of them the whole entire time uh-huh. just because of, of the slower projectile speed. Um, yeah, now it's gonna be faster. Okay. Still gonna, it's not gonna be stronger, just just uh, faster speed. Gotcha. And uh, they they also said, uh, or Kaplan also said, there was a bunch of bug fixes coming, but he didn't go into detail. Well, a lot of those sound good. Uh, the only ones that have me pausing are. The, the Roadhog and the Orissa ones. Those, because I mean, Orissa, if you know how to play Orissa, I mean, you can just devastate the battlefield. I mean, it, there's a lot of power there. And the fact that Orissa is a tank means that, that it can take a lot of punishment. I mean, that, that's, I'm not sure how that's going to change the tactics on the they might just be trying to increase popularity with Orissa because, yeah, I mean, people who play Orissa, I don't know if they're going to main Orissa or just be like, yeah, I, I like playing Orissa, yeah, it's fun, but she's not a popular character. I mean, when Doomfist came out, everybody's playing Doomfist, and sure. people have got really, really good at, at playing Doomfist quick. But Orissa, there's not really, at least in my experience and what I've seen online, is not there's not really any very, very good Orissa players. Gotcha. They're very, very few and far between. Well, thank you for sharing that with me, Steve. Very much appreciated. All right. Let us segue into movie news. I'm not seeing any gyrating on your side. Russ, I don't want you to get tired of the gyrating. (laughs) I can never get tired of the gyrating. (laughs) Netflix. As you well know, the last episode, we had our topic of the day talk about digital content gatekeepers versus the consumers. Uh larger revolving around the big story about how Disney was pulling out from Netflix. Well, the story just got a little more interesting, Steve. Mm-hmm. Netflix is in talks with Disney to keep Marvel Star Wars films. It sounds like Netflix may be able to hold on to Lucasfilm and Marvel movies. The Netflix CCO, Ted Sarandos, told Reuters that, quote, we are still in active discussions, end quote, with Disney to keep Marvel and Star Wars movies on the service beyond 2019, at which time Disney will launch its own branded streaming service that features various Disney and Pixar films. For some reason, I think 
I am not entirely surprised by that because I mean, if I'm Netflix, I'm going to wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Hold the freaking phone, man. Yeah. Hold on a second. Can we sweeten the deal? What can we do here? Right. Avengers 4 production commences beginning the end. IGN reports Avengers 4 has officially started filming, marking the beginning of the end for this 10-year story arc in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Directors Anthony and Joe Russo posted a mysterious image on Facebook announcing the start of production, writing, quote, beginning the end, end quote. The teaser image shows off a glove with four fingers extended. No word on who's wearing that glove or to whom it might belong. Avengers 4, which has yet to receive an official title, opens in theaters on May 3rd, 2019. It follows Avengers Infinity War, which hits theaters on May 4th of 2018. Do you have any guesses as to who that glove belongs to, Steve? Um, I'm guessing it's going to be the big baddie. Thanos? Mm-hmm. Well, Thanos, you know, it could be. Although, you know, Thanos will be in the, uh, the first of Infinity War movie, too, so... Unfortunately, there are a lot. Maybe it's Hawkeye. Maybe he's finally getting like an official <laughs> uniform with this purple color. Yeah. Somehow I doubt that though. For all of you Hannibal fans out there, there are talks for season four. Brian Fuller tweeted, quote, conversations couldn't start until two years after the final airing of season three of producer Martha De Laurentiis has started those conversations. This takes time, end quote. Fuller said in two, uh, excuse me, in June of 2016, that's when we would have to see what the rights are for the character and for the story and see who's interested and in how we get it done, end quote. So I know that Hannibal, the, the TV series, has been very popular. There have been a lot of folks who've been eating that up. So good news possibly for them. Steve, you know how Wonder Woman's become kind of a staple here at Joygasm? Mm-hmm. Well, I thought you'd like to know that Wonder Woman Blu-ray has been officially announced, along with the box art and details. Mm. And I thought it'd be fitting to be able to go through the details right now. <laughs> Warner Brothers Home Entertainment has announced Wonder Woman will be, be released on Blu-ray September 19th and available digitally starting on August 29th. Oh, it's coming up pretty quick, Ross. I know. It's like two weeks from now. The film will be available on Ultra HD Blu-ray <gasps> for $44.95 USD. That's 4K. Blu-ray 3D combo pack for $44.95 USD. Blu-ray combo pack for $35.99 USD and DVD for $28.98 USD. The Blu-ray versions include a new bonus scene that wasn't shown in theaters. Mm. The Ultra HD Blu-ray release includes the theatrical version in 4K with HDR. Do you know what HDR stands for, Steve? High, defi high definition recording? No. <laughs> high dynamic range. Oh, that's right. I knew that. Uh, let's see. As well as standard Blu-ray disc with a theatrical version. Additionally, all three Blu-ray releases include a digital version of the movie with ultraviolet as well as host of the special features. And Steve, would you like to know what those special features are? No. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> Let's see, we have epilogue, Etta's mission. Etta Candy gets the boys back together for a secret mission that could impact humanity's future. Crafting the wonder, Wonder Woman finally comes to life in her first breathtaking solo film, explore the journey to create an adventure worthy of DC's greatest warrior. And within that, you have a director's vision, 
Themyscira, The Hidden Island, A Director's Vision, Beach Battle, A Director's Vision, A Photograph Through Time, A Director's Vision, Diana in the Modern World, A Director's Vision, Wonder Woman at War. Join director Patty Jenkins as she takes you, Steve, you personally, on an exclusive journey through Wonder Woman's most pivotal and exciting moments. Thanks, Miss Jenkins. <laughs> that might be Mrs. Jenkins. You never know. Warriors of Wonder Woman witness the creation of the Amazon army as the woman of Wonder Woman. Uh, let's see. Transform emotionally and physically into the world's most powerful and heroic warriors. That sounds like what her diet and workout schedule is like. The Trinity filmmakers and comic book creators explore the legend of Wonder Woman and how she stands shoulder to shoulder with Superman and Batman to create the pillars of the DC universe. The wonder behind the camera. Meet the woman behind the wonder as they welcome a group of aspiring filmmakers on set for an exclusive once in a lifetime experience. Finding the Wonder Woman within. Feel the power of Wonder Woman as award-winning poets and inspiring public figures reveal the impact and importance of DC's greatest heroine. Extended scenes, blooper reel, you know, so on and so forth, that sort of thing. But um, that looks like there's going to be a ton of bonus features and behind the scenes goodness that I know you and I will just totally dig. So I'm looking for that deleted scene in Star Wars towards the end, Rogue One, where that TIE fighter goes right up yeah. there. I, yeah. I, I never, I've been looking forward to seeing that when that one, uh, have to pick that up uh, at some point, but even when I was watching on Netflix last night, I didn't see it. So I think just about everyone I've talked to about Rogue One has brought up that scene because yeah. everybody thought that that was such a, a powerful visual in the trailers where you have, um, what, what was the main character's name? I was going to say Ray. It's not Ray. No, it's like Jin or something like Jin, that. Jin. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's running down that catwalk and all of a sudden this TIE fighter raises up and staring her down and it just never, it was one of the many scenes in the film yeah. that just were omitted. You're like, what happened to that? Yeah, I mean, we were saw, we saw it at IMAX too and I'm thinking that this is perfect for that scene. Where is it? Okay, let's go. It's not there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, oh, come on. Nuts. Last but not least in movie news, Aquaman director James Wan on the DC film's watery, complicated shoot. Jordan Serrani reports that Aquaman director James Wan says that the upcoming DC film's underwater setting has made for a, quote, very technically complicated shoot, end quote. Wan spoke about the difficulties of filming Aquaman with the Hollywood Reporter, saying both the water and dry for wet sequences are very complex. He listed things like CG with the hair and how their clothing moves. How are they floating? What kind of rig we put them on um, as some of those challenges. Adding to the difficulty is Wan's desire to make minimal use of CGI, opting to shoot with actors as often as possible, which he says makes filming very difficult and time-sucking and time-challenging. Despite the various challenges, Wan hopes his efforts will, quote, pay off in spades once the movie is completed. The Furious 7. Did you know that he was the Furious 7 director? Did not. Well, now you do! Furious 7 director also commented on the performance of Dolph Lundgren, who, excuse me, Lundgren, who joined the <laughs> cast in April as King Nereus. Quote, he's a really strong actor, said Juan. He's taking it very seriously on this film. Aquaman, which takes place after the events of this year's Justice League movie, is scheduled to hit theaters on December 21st of 2018. And that is your movie news. Hmm. Thank you, Ross. 
I thought that, that there was a, a good amount of story goodness in there, Steve. Some juicy morsels. Yeah. Well, what was considered your favorite story out of all of them, huh? Yeah, that's what I um, thought. <laughs> I like the Wonder Woman story myself. Ah, yeah. Well, you're, that's a that's a good one to mm. kind of marinate on. That's right. Well, Steve, you know, as per usual, it is time for none other than the topic of the day. Oh my goodness! This is what I think of when I taste your salmon marinated. <laughs> Maybe a craft beer. Yes! So that's the kind of look you give me after you've eaten. Very, very flattered, Steve. I just try not to scare your daughter, so I keep it all to myself. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually really funny. Like, both you and uh, my wife, like, you know what? I think that that's a very appropriate uh, Mm. song that could be playing. It makes me feel good. You know, like, okay, it's off the grill. Dinner's ready. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, everything's moving in slow motion, including myself. I'm like, oh, this is burning my hand. Why am I moving slowly? I'm picking little bits off the grill, even though they're singeing my fingers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, FYI, Steve, it's funny that you say that because I am planning to grill my marinated salmon tomorrow night. And you are <laughs> quarterly invited, Steve. Oh, nice. So you'll have, to, you'll have to let me know if it plays the music in your head. Mm, I'll do that, Russ. The topic of the day today is on microtransactions regarding games. Hmm. <clears throat> this is something that has gone on for about... Mm. I'd say about 12 years now, mm, in yeah. earnest, mm. somewhere around there. Oh, okay. I think it got its start. I think we actually touched upon it, doing just a little bit. <laughs> <Touch>. the, on- <laughs> Fondle. <laughs> Molest. No, no. Oh, it's getting too creepy. Uh, <clears throat> um, no, we, we, uh, we briefly touched upon it um, on our previous episode. We were talking about... Um, the digital gatekeepers versus consumers. And it's so it's a fun segue into more of this as a focus, but Zynga was one of the pioneers of this back in the day. This is back when um, casual games really made its start on the overall market with Facebook. Right. And they had games such as um, Words with Friends and Farmville, that sort of thing. And so it was interesting at that point in time because it tapped into a huge audience of people that normally are not considered hardcore gamers like you and I. Wasn't Candy Crush around that time too? Candy Crush came out several years later. Nah. Um, Zynga was kind of in a world of its own because they were re- really one of the first to jump into that and actually have a lot of monetary success. And a large part of that, I feel like was the timing of where Facebook was at the time. Because Mm -hmm. if you recall, Facebook, I think launched on 2004, somewhere around there, 2003, 2004. And initially people were, were making the, the trek from MySpace over to Facebook. <laughs> and it was like a slow but sure, surely kind of thing as MySpace was, was beginning to die out and, um, and Facebook was really gaining traction. 
And so once people got on there, I think that the social platform of um, itself was going through a bit of a maturing process where people had gotten used to the idea of having a profile page and then wanted to have some sort of other interactivity as opposed to just updating their status. And that's, I think, where Zynga was able to jump in and capitalize with their, their whole free-to-play model. And that was, at the time, a very alien concept to a lot of the gaming masses because we had been conditioned to just automatically expect, oh, if there's a game out, you have to spend you know 50 bucks, 60 bucks, something like that. So um, there was quite a bit of money that was being put into that, and a lot of it had to do with the game design of games like Farmville. And then you had um, other companies start to, to look into that. So you fast forward to today and microtransactions have become much more commonplace with AAA titles. You see it on the PC and actually with the PC, um, the PC really had it going on for quite some time. I think the console platform was a little harder to crack. I right. think developers were still trying to figure out the perfect storm. But what we want to talk about today really is what are the good things about microtransactions and what have been some of the, the pitfalls or the, the bad things about microtransactions. So I think it'd be appropriate to lead off with a simple question to you. Mm. Yes, Ross? Steve. Yeah. Do you like microtransactions? Yes or no? I think it depends on what you're playing and how much you've paid for it because when it's let's just say mobile games, for example, a lot of these games are free, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe in my heart of hearts that people have spent countless hours to think of a game, develop the game, design the game. I mean, put all sorts of different creative touches on the game, customization. You know, these people are spending a lot of hours, even if this is their side project, um, there's a lot of time devoted to the game, updating, and people need to be paid for that. Where's that money going to come from? And the developer is basically saying, okay, we're going to give you a game. You're going to grind it out. Um, or if you want to get some free stuff, yeah, okay, a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there, you can get some free stuff. And that's not a whole lot of money. And it's just basically up to you. Hey, not a problem. I think on other games, like on the Xbox, PlayStation, whatnot, if they handicap you and say, okay, you can play the game, no problem, you've paid 60 bucks for it, but you can only get so far in the game until, uh, you know, you have to pay us more money to get weapons to actually defeat certain enemies or um, get certain achievements and whatever. And I'm not even talking about DLC, I'm just like talking the regular game. Um, for example, there was The Witcher, where they gave you a ton of just free DLC right from the get-go, and you got an incredible story, an incredible game, you paid 60 bucks for it, and they gave you not only just a game, but an experience to play. Mm, sure. Uh, and then when the DLC came out, it was, yeah, okay, it's 20 bucks, I think, for the uh, the Hearts of Stone. I think it was 30 bucks, I, I believe, for the Blood and Wine. And, yeah, the nice big expansion packs is more like what they were. But they didn't charge you to get certain swords in the game or certain spells or certain ability. I mean, not, those weren't weren't there. So I think it really depends because if you're already paying money for the game, I, I feel awkward in paying them more money to continue playing the game um, or just unlock stuff within the game that I should already be unlocked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> I have had a bit of a arc with my relationship and, uh, you know, let me rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain just kind of <laughs> I've had a bit of a... Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've had um, uh, a bit of an arc with my relationship uh, regarding microtransactions. I know at the, at the very beginning, I was a bit more apprehensive about it, as were a lot of the folks, I think, in the gaming community, just because it was a, this new type of pay model. And especially with financial transactions online, you have to think back to when it was more like around 2008, 2009, right around there, we were just going through the financial crisis and um, financial payments were not, I mean, you had eBay, of course. Mm -hmm. eBay was kind of like the bedrock of financial payments. And you had kind of some of the other places like Ticketmaster and that sort of thing that were, that were doing transactions. Um, but by and large, I don't think, if you think back to about 10 to 15 years ago, there really wasn't as much of a prevalent um, interaction or, or payment monetary activity that there is today. And so when it comes to gaming, I know that, that that was something that I was kind of scoffing at initially. I know back in the day, right around 2009, 2010, I worked for 3G Studios and we created a game called Brave Arms. And this was a game that was completely embedded into Facebook's platform. It was a 3D first person shooter. It was actually one of the very first ones. I think there was maybe only one other one that was out there, but... Um, we also made the game free to play with the idea that we would create a ton of content for the game um, and people could customize their character. They could um, buy and, and, you know, have fun with different types of emotes and that sort of thing. We really made it a point not to um, have certain things in the, the store that would affect the gameplay too much, though, because that would kind of it would dissuade gamers from wanting to play because then it, it comes more of a um, kind of a weapons race in that sense right. where like, you know, oh, well, I'm going to spend 50 bucks and now I got the ultimate weapon in the game. The other people don't, so they have hardly a chance. We wanted to steer clear of that. So it was interesting to actually be um, on the other side of the fence, so to speak, with that and just be able to see just how people responded to it. I think that there are other games, however, that... You could tell, like, like it's gone through this maturing process. The the whole notion of microtransactions, especially with the console. What you sound like you were laughing there. Were no, you thinking of something? No, yeah. It, keep your thought. I was just thinking when I was on Facebook the other day. I was kind of going through some maintenance and getting rid of some stuff and yeah. and uh, some people that I don't follow anymore. And then Brave Arms came up. I'm like, oh yeah, Brave Arms. <laughs> oh, well, dislike because you're not you're not there anymore. You're not working on it. I guess I'll get rid of that one. <laughs> I don't even know if it's still live or yeah. they took it down. I don't, I don't know. know. I, it came up in my feed. I'm like, ah, I'm not gonna follow you anymore. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was a bit of a timing thing with regards to microtransactions. Now, today's world, I feel like there are certain developers who have done a, a really good job with microtransactions. For instance, you mentioned Witcher. I think Witcher was, was a great example. I also think Overwatch is a great example. Overwatch is an example of, of a game where you do Overwatch. have to pay. Overwatch. Oh, my 
thank you for that. You spend 60 bucks up front and you get the game. I was a little concerned that there was not a single player campaign. And this is something that, that we've talked about in the past, but um, you know, if I pay 60 bucks, I want a full gaming experience. And, and traditionally speaking, that's always included a single player campaign along with a multiplayer component. So looking at what the game is, Blizzard and their game designer magicians were able to, to come up with a game that is just so incredibly fun to play. And the, the, the type of microtransactions they do, which largely center around their loot boxes, um, they've done, they've done a really nice job in the sense where like, I have, I've spent hundreds of dollars on those loot boxes. I've ever spent since zero. I, yeah. <laughs> and you have almost 100 of them to open. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I have always been in love with the character designs of overwatch. I love so many of their, their emotes, you know, the personality is just oozing through that game. And the skins are, are, for the most part, just super cool. And I'm just, I find myself just being impatient. I'm like, I want that skin. I want to know. Yeah. I want to be able to stare at it and love it. And call um, it George. I'm more patient than you are, Ross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but I have no uh, regrets about that. I have had a lot of fun making those purchases. And honestly, coming from the games industry, if I identify a specific product that is AAA quality that I really have a lot of enjoyment in, then I want to be able to support it in a monetary capacity, especially if it's in a way that doesn't cheapen the game experience or, or cause there to be some sort of weird breaking of the game design. Without hesitation either. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, when the Witcher expansion package came out, I was like, okay, what's the price? I'm getting it. Yeah. You know, because they gave us so much in the beginning that, yeah, I'll pay you more money. I mean, give me more of this. Well, and I think that with Overwatch, too, they've struck this perfect balance of they'll um, release a brand new character free of charge. They're not charging you exactly. for any of those new characters. And we've had, um, what is it? Doomfist. We've had Sombra. Sombra. I think Diva was a new one, too. Like, like by the time we started playing it, no, no, no. By the time we started playing it, she was already available, but I believe she was a new character to the roster. Anna. Uh, Anna was a new one. Was Anna a new one? Anna a new one. So that's four. Orissa. Orissa, that's five. I'm not sure if there are any more, but just going off that. Well, then there are going to be more coming out later on. Sure. Um, but just looking at that, like having five characters. Now, what's interesting is if I were to compare that to, say, Injustice 2. You know, Injustice 2 is a $60 game. Um they have different versions of the game bundle. They have like the, the premium pack and they have the ultimate. I ended up buying the ultimate pack because I'm a big DC fan. But what's interesting about that is that if you did not buy that, the only way to actually get the uh, the new characters is then you have microtransactions. So their dynamic is a little bit different as opposed to Overwatch, which they'll give you um, brand new maps and brand new characters free of charge. Literally, the only thing that you really have to spend microtransactions on are the loot boxes. That's it. That makes me a happy customer at the end of the day. At the end of all things, it's like, yeah, I dig that. Now, when I think of bad examples, um, you know, one of my favorite games, Castlevania Lords of Shadow, there was a, a part to it. There was a, um, an extension to the story called Resurrection, and you needed that that part of the story to understand um, what the full story was about that lead it into the sequel. I think that's bad because at that point you are interfering with just what the overall canon is regarding any given game. 
you need to have that emotional tie to the character. And this is something that I think you and I see eye to eye on is that, you know, you take a game like Halo, for instance, the, the big component, the linchpin that caused everyone to just fall in love with that game was the story, like the single player story campaign of, of finding out who Master Chief is, what his relationship is to Cortana, um, who this, this alien species known as the Covenant um, are, as well as the Flood. I mean, you had the, this, this very rich backstory that you got to play over and over again, play four player co-op. And that pushed through, of course, you know, you have your game mechanics and that sort of thing, um, which also they go a long way too. I'm not, I'm not discounting those by any stretch of the imagination. However, just saying that, um, that is a very big deal. So to have a game like Castlevania, where once again, it's a, you know, the, that game doesn't even have a multiplayer mode. It's just a single player game. You, you know, the story is one of the pillars of the game, uh, to omit a important section that go, Oh no, you have to pay us a little extra money in order to find out just more of, of just, you know, what the relationship is of this character and on his journey and everything else. I think that's a bad example. Yeah. In terms of downright ugly EA games is one of the culprits of this. EA games has always been a very aggressive company. They've been a company that has um, they've, they've always had their eye on the monetary value of any given thing. And it goes to show because they've grown as a company by leaps and bounds. I mean, they're, they are this absolute juggernaut of a publisher to, in today's world. But if I, if I um, think about back to like certain games that they have released that had microtransactions, you know, they did um, Scrabble on Facebook, which was kind of like their, com- their competitive product to uh, Words with Friends. They completely destroyed that game experience because of the sheer amount of advertisements and um, microtransaction pushing that they were doing. You know, in um, FIFA 14 and 15, that was another issue with the microtransactions and trying to play the game. And they they would intentionally keep out certain elements of the game that people were looking forward to using or putting on their character or what have you. And and just the sheer amount of advertising in there, too, also really um, limited the enjoyment, which is unfortunate because there are a ton of folks out in, in the world who love the FIFA franchise. They love the FIFA series. Um. Another example is, um, you know, going back to the story thing, um, they cut out the uh, From Ashes portion of the story for Mass Effect 3. That was huge because, like, you have this continuation going on from the first two games, and then you go into the third game, and it's like, oh, nope, you want to find out? No, it's going to cost you. It's like, dude, what what, what the hell? Yeah. You know? um, there's actually one I wrote down here, which was a Need for Speed Online. Did you ever play that? I did not. So EA started aggressively pushing for microtransactions for their booster packs, which were card packs that contain things like new car parts, in-game turbo boosts, or other race bonuses like cooldown cards. So you could quickly use bonus cards again. And essentially players could buy turbo boosts and boost their way to the finish line. Compounded with like the invasion of hackers, the only way to win a race on any of the game's um, races and like overall devolved into hacking or paying real money for cooldown cards and turbo boosts. I mean, just completely breaking the game mechanic of what made, what was supposed to make that game fun in the first place. And so as a result, people just stopped playing. Yeah, for sure. Actually, uh, another good example of that is, uh, (laughs) 
remember on the Xbox 360, uh, they came out with a arcade, uh, a live arcade um, version of the Spartacus TV show back when that was in its heyday. Mm-hmm. And you basically were, uh, you owned a slave and you were just fighting different people and you would get some credit and uh, you would build this person up, but you could only go so far in, that, in, in the game where uh, people above you who had paid to get certain items that, were, that you couldn't get yet yeah. uh, would just easily beat you and then your guy would die and you have to start the game all over again. And so even if you had paid money to upgrade your character and that person died, you just basically lost that money. Oh my gosh. And so I, that game was popular when it first came out because people who were watching the TV show are like, oh wow, yeah, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then I think that, I, I forgot how long that game lasted, uh, but it wasn't that long and it and it went straight to the moon and came right down just as fast. Oh. And the other day I looked on on the, the marketplace to see if it was even still there. Not still there at wow. all. <laughs> it's gone. I mean, no trace of it whatsoever. You can find videos of it on YouTube that were from years ago, but um, <laughs> like, that was terrible. But yeah. I mean, again, you give me the money, give me the money. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some other examples that c- come to mind regarding EA as well, such as um, the original Star Wars Battlefront game. That game came out on Xbox One and PS4. It's a gorgeous game. And um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to play, but there was no single player campaign. EA ended up charging a full 60 bucks for that. And that is a game that is absolutely begging for some sort of single player story campaign to play through. You're in the world of Star Wars right. and they did such a wonderful job realizing that world. And of course, uh, this year's E3, that was something that EA was very quick to capitalize on. It was like, hey, hey, you know, Battlefront 2, we now have a single player story. It's like, well, yeah, because everybody had like a WTF moment with you because you're trying to, once again, gut out half of the experience of the game and charge full price. Yeah. So once again, it goes back to, I think, us being conditioned as gamers to have a certain expectation of what do you get for 60 bucks? Right. There was another EA game too. What was that other one? Um, there was Star Wars Battlefront and there was one other one. Well, while you're thinking of that one, I have a, I'm, I'm going to refer to Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. Okay. There, there are definitely notable mentions, um, but I want to bridge that with people's uh, patience versus. Oh. Do you mind if I jump in real quick? Uh, I just uh, yeah, I'm never going to forget Clash Royale. Go ahead. Right? <laughs> um, Titanfall. Uh, Titanfall was another EA game. I was very excited yeah, about. A lot of people were had a lot of of promising things about it, and then when the game came out, there was no story. Yeah. and here it is. It's like this game is once again is begging for a story mode. They didn't even, and at the time, they weren't even having um, microtransactions for um, a story mode to be unlocked. They just straight up released the game and didn't have like a story mode at all. Yeah. I think they did have some microtransactions in terms of being able to perhaps like upgrade your character or your mech or what or whatnot. But, you know, when Titanfall 2 came out, once again, EA brought the story mode back in. Anyway, go ahead. Uh I think our friend uh, Big Baby Moose referenced that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, I think uh, patience is a, is a is a big thing for a lot of these uh, developers because uh, in the game and a lot of mobile games like Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, or even Bit Heroes, um, not so much Bit Heroes. When you get these loot chests, you got to open them, and that's going to take time to open them. Um, Clash Royale, it's Okay, it, it can be anywhere from three hours to like 
a day or two to yeah. open up these loot boxes. Um, and I know clan mates of mine are like, just gym it, just gym it and open the thing. I'm like, I, I, I have stuff to do in my day, you know, that I can, I can sit there and wait or do other stuff and wait for this, this box to open. I'm not that eager to, you know, get a few more cards or a few more goodies right, right now. I'm still going to get the same stuff when the box opens. Sure. But a lot of folks just don't want to wait and they want it now because they're kind of conditioned in a way to have everything at their fingertips when they want it. Yeah. And so, um, in which case, if, if they're, um, if they're waiting for a card so they can, you know, elevate themselves and, and, and matches, mm -hmm. uh, they'll just go ahead and gym it and it's done. Supercell does give you a couple gems here and there, uh, which is good. And those gems can build and you can use them whenever you want to, but to open them is definitely costing. Like they'll give you like two gems, I think. And, and, at the average loot box, but to open a loot box early and not wait at all, it costs you probably like anywhere from 60 to like 150. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, you know, there's kind of a, a biased ratio there. Um, but I mean, even like, uh, I mean, bit heroes is pretty generous to you. There's, there's a ton of stuff you can buy in the game, but they, they, they litter out the, the gems for you there. That, that, the, the ratio for what you get and what they give is actually mm. like 50, 50. I mean, sure. it, that's, they give you a good ratio on that one. Yeah. What do you think about, uh, about <laughs> Ubisoft though? Cause Ubisoft is pretty much trailing right behind, uh, EA. With or Ubisoft, I really haven't played too many of their games. A lot of the games I've been playing from them have been the Rayman series. Yeah. Um, I got burned a couple of times on a couple of their older games where they did a lot of false advertising with at E3, um, specifically the division and watchdogs right. where the, the, the game looked really great. And then when you saw the final product, you could yeah. tell they down everything. And it's yeah. like, you guys, you can't do that. Cause you're, you're, you're eroding the trust between the gamer and the, the product or the company. Right. So I really haven't played too much of, um, Ubisoft's titles as of late. Yeah. I think the the microtransactions haunted Destiny in the beginning, um, and that you know, and, and again, I haven't played Destiny one, uh, so I can't confirm this, but I've read tons of reviews for it online, and a common theme is that the 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 microtransactions left a bitter taste in people's mouths when they played the game because they paid sixty bucks to get the game. And then, oh, you can't, you know, get to a certain spot in the game or you can't uh, continue the game or you can't beat any of the baddies in the game unless you pay us more money. Yeah, see, that's not right. So I think Destiny, uh, or Destiny, Destiny developed it. So Bungie then uh, corrected it. <laughs> and that's why Destiny has uh, you know, held on to its its large audience for the longest time. But I mean, uh, hopefully Destiny 2 will bring back some of the old users. But even then, looking at, the reviews online, mm -hmm. even though destiny two is not out yet, people still have that taste in the back of their mouth. And, and I've seen people even just review it online, the beta going, Oh yeah, well destiny, here's just another game. You're gonna pay 60 bucks for, and then they're going to charge you for the every, you know, everything that they can think of. Um, so it, it ain't a feeling that's going away. Yeah. I find it interesting that microtransactions largely got their start on the mobile platform. Yeah. I mean, you had some of it a little bit here and there on the PC, of course, like, like we were talking about earlier with regards to Farmville, you know, any, pretty much any Zynga product had more of the microtransaction thing. And I think that to a certain extent too, Blizzard um, has been doing that for quite some time with like their world of Warcraft and 
uh, some of their other games, especially considering um, how a lot of those types of games fetched a nice price on eBay. If you think about like there were certain characters that people were grinding on forever and a day for, for like World of Warcraft, once again, as an example, or Diablo, or you had some sort of legendary weapon or piece of armor or something, and that fetched a, a high price at times. You could you could spend, there were, well, not you, but there were people who could spend hundreds Me? and sometimes even thousands of dollars oh, of course. on like a character, a digital asset. And I think that's what really opened the eyes to a lot of developers and publishers like, wow, these people are serious about our games. They are so committed to wanting to have the ultimate experience that they are willing to spend a lot of money, way more than what we initially charged for the game. So how do we bring that more into our wallets? How do we, how do we, uh, you know, steer them to our billfold as a result of that? And I think that they've gotten more clever at it as the years have gone on, but it's interesting how the, the initial audience for that were the casual gamers. They were the folks who had an iPhone or a droid and, you know, they would, um, download a game for free. And if they liked it, then if they wanted to, remove the ads, then they'd pay, you know, a buck or two bucks. Or if they wanted to have additional features added to the game, then they, you know, pay $3.99 or something like that. And eventually it's made its way onto the console. And I just find that fascinating because I would have thought I'd been the opposite. Typically, you know, the hardcore gamers are more of your guinea pigs. They are the ones who will let you know if something works or if it's jacked up, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I, I've, it's fun to look back because it really hasn't been that long that microtransactions have existed. And I think that they've been trying to find just this, this perfect approach to how to make gamers happy. Um, and also just, just make additional profit. And I think too, it's one of the great aspects to microtransactions is the fact that like, let's, let's, let's talk about the Witcher for once again, the Witcher. (laughs) The Witcher is a game that is universally celebrated as a just a tremendous achievement in the action RPG genre. And it's a game that you just you just don't want it to end. Like the more time you put into it, it's just a fantastic storyline. You love Geralt, the main character, as well as all the characters that he comes across. You love the world. Um there there's there's just so much there. And as a result, when they decided to have these, these big DLC expansion packs that gave additional storylines and, and allowed you to, to visit other parts of the map that, that weren't traversable before. That was a huge thumbs up. That was a big plus one of for course. everybody because I, I mean, I for one really wanted to see more of this game. And so it, it's, it's, it helps to expand the longevity of a specific title as opposed to just, Oh, I beat it. And Oh, that was good. have some fond memories of it onto the next game. It really does help to um, prolong the life cycle of a, a particular game. And it also, it's actually a cool opportunity for the game designers as well as the artists to be able to fine tune the game and add some things that perhaps they wanted to at the start and just ran out of time to do. Sure. I know that, that happens a lot. Oh, absolutely. As someone who's worked in the, in the industry, I can tell you straight up, there are so many great ideas that never see the light of day because you just simply run out of time or budget or both. And so that is a very cool thing about it. When it comes to like the games, like I said, like, like have come out recently, you know, I think Blizzard really has it down. I think that 
as long as it doesn't interfere with the performance of how players can interact with each other in the game, I think it's fine. I actually do like microtransactions, especially for games I dig. Right. I think that if there are certain microtransactions that are specifically designed to get a leg up on the gameplay or the competition, I think that's bad. Yeah. You do not do that. You do not interfere with the skill level of your gamers because you'll just turn people away. Did you have any final thoughts on that, Steve? No, I, I definitely, uh, I, I agree with that, with that last point. I think if, uh, if developers reward you for taking the time, earning the money, spending your hard-earned money on their game, uh, and they give you this, this treat, then you definitely want more of it, and you're going to spend more money to get more treats. Absolutely. Um, but if they say, thanks for spending money on the game, but to continue playing the game after you spent money on the game, you have to give us more money to continue playing the game. I think that's that's where it's uh, where the line's going to cross. Yeah. And I, for one, look for, like, if I were to, if I were to stare into my gaming <laughs> crystal ball here. Um, I have a magic mirror. <laughs> I thought it was a funny mirror from the funny house. <laughs> Why am I all distorted? I think that it would be fantastic if you had more of a series-based setup. Like, like let's say, for instance, we'll use The Witcher as an example. Or, you know what? Let's use Cyberpunk, the, the upcoming game. Of course, I've never played Cyberpunk. I don't know what it's about, but I'm going to assume it's like an, another like action RPG style. I have. <laughs> I'm from the future. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I would love to see a game that is series-based where, once again, you have this. you have to be really careful with this because you could abuse it very easily. But the idea being that you give um, a game a certain amount of longevity to it and then uh, while the player is playing through that game, you have the developer actually um, working on the quote-unquote part two, if you will. Like it, it could either be a full-fledged sequel or it just it could go on. It almost reminds me of kind of the old days of um, radio dramas, like before TV came yeah, out. Right, we're yeah, like, yeah. you know, stay tuned for next week as we <laughs> find out who bloody blah. Blah, blah, yeah, yeah, the, the good old uh, transatlantic accent, you know. <laughs> Make sure you don't do that, Jetson. <laughs> uh, you never catch me alive. <laughs> but one of the things I always loved about that is the fact that, you know, it kept you coming back for more because you had those cliffhangers, you had um, just quality entertainment, and that drew people to the radio all the time. And I think that from a gaming standpoint, if there was a specific genre that could support that, that was perhaps more story-based. It didn't even have to necessarily be story-based, but um, just doing so that would ultimately result in having this, this very long engagement of a game. And that way it would almost do away with like having to wait like two to three years in between each game release or whatever. You just keep going, keep going, keep going uh, within that game, making it much more of a, um, a rich experience. I think that would be worth looking into. Indeed, Ross. Mm. Well, that's about all the time we have for you today. Oh, okay. 
It has been a pleasure on this side of the microphone to be able to chat with all of you lovely listeners. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to show us some love, you can find us on Twitter at JoyGasmTV. We definitely want to hear from you. And if you want to be able to check out some of the little fun items that we talk about on the show, you should go to Facebook.com slash JoyGasmTV. It's where we plop a lot of those articles up there for you to digest. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash JoyGasmTV or do a search for us on YouTube. Just do Joygasm TV. And like I said, give us a subscribe because we're on our way to getting 100 subscribers. It's the very first goal for us on YouTube. And then after that, it's sky's the limit. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. Happy gaming, guys. Peace out.